This is Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. What's in a name? Russell-haired or fox-like, because Russell was the old English name for the red fox. But if you're a petty officer, you're also a skilled sailor. You probably already know that your rank is derived from the early-day Navy specialists, such as gunner, sailmaker, carpenter, and others whose duties were clear enough from their titles. What's in a name? Plenty. Next, the golden days of radio. This is Frank Brzee welcoming you to the golden days of radio. Great moments from radio programs of the past with the world's most famous personalities. Those memorable moments when everyone listened to enjoy the make-believe world of radio. On this program, we are featuring some of the most remembered news events of all time. Plus, Amos and Andy, Eddie Cantor, and comedian Henry Morgan. The most famous newscaster of all time was on the air every Sunday night, coast to coast, at 9 o'clock for 15 minutes. And for this, he was paid $15,000 a show. That's $1,000 a minute. Well, he was worth it, because everyone listened to Walter Winchell. It's time, America. Time for Walter Winchell. Mr. and Mrs. North and South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. Boston, a great fire along the Boston waterfront, sent 10 firemen to the hospital. 25 more overcome by smoke, now under control. The election odds an hour ago. They are laying six and taking seven. Eisenhower has the edge. If you want to bet on Ike, you must give the bookies seven. New York City. Quick, the magazine, in its next issue, will say that it looks like Ike. Quick gives Eisenhower a probable 328. Central Park, New York. Barney Baruch's closest friends tell me that Mr. Baruch, a Democrat all his life, will vote for Ike. Los Angeles. The latest and the fastest bomber fighter plane has the U.S. Army thrilled. Made by Republic Aviation. 600 miles per hour plus. Broadway, New York, the newest hits in town, an exciting melodrama titled Dial M for Murder at the Plymouth. Terrific notices, terrific business. Crestline, California, Courier. The Crestline Chamber of Commerce has named a day after me for my scoop about a red school for spies near Crestline, California. There was no Crestline people involved, I'm glad to say. Winchell Day is August 31 at the three-day Hillbilly Jamboree at Crestline, California. How's that for a coast-to-coast plug? To the show folks, the dramatic critics, and the playgoers. Your bookstore will have the latest book by Ward Morehouse on the 22nd. He is the drama historian for the New York World-Telegram Sun. Delightfully breezy anecdotes about the first nights in New York. To the New York Journal, narcotic agents are taking moving pictures with hidden cameras of known marijuana sellers and smokers all over New York City. How many do you want now? I've got to get off on that, Mr. and Mrs. 48. Winds up the TV edition until 9 o'clock New York time tonight. Over ABC's 353 radio stations. This is Walter Winchell leaving you with a definition of a peaceful communist. His name is Joe Stalin. Good night. Walter Winchell, same time next week. One of the first news events was heard in 1920. Station KDKA in Pittsburgh broadcast presidential election returns for the Harding-Cox election. Now 
We'll give you the state vote in just a moment. But first, we'd like to ask you to let us know if this broadcast is reaching you. Please drop us a card, address station KDKA, Westinghouse, East Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The first transcontinental radio network broadcast was of a Rose Bowl game in January 1927. In the same year, Charles A. Lindbergh's triumphant return from France was broadcast coast to coast from Washington, D.C. The President of the United States, Calvin Coolidge, introduced Lindy to Congress. As President of the United States, I bestow the distinguished flying cross upon Colonel Charles A. Lindbergh. I arrived in the Bourget Paris at every gathering, at every meeting I attended with the same words. You have seen the affection of the people of France for the people of America demonstrated to you. Take back with you this message from France and Europe to the United States of America. Thank you. About this time, the newspapers were beginning to recognize radio as a competitor for the advertising dollar. Bruce Wendell remembers the joke making the rounds at that time. What's the difference between newspapers and radio? Well, you can wrap the garbage in the newspaper. Amos and Andy were using topical subjects then, and this was their comment on a certain election. Uh, who is the men that is running against each other this year election time? Explain that to me. Herbert Hoover, Vesuvius Al Smith. Herbert Hoover, Vesuvius Al Smith, huh? Yeah. Another thing I'm going to ask you. I, I don't know if I was going to be a Democrat or a Republican, you know it? How did your old man vote? Oh, my papa, you mean? Yeah, that's it. Oh, papa used to always vote for the uh, Democrats. Well, then if I was in your place, I would vote for the Republican. How come? Because I never knowed your old man to do nothing right in his life. And when the stock market crashed in 1929, comedian Eddie Cantor took the opportunity to laugh at his own losses. If the market takes another slump, I know thousands and thousands of married men who will have to leave their sweethearts and go back to their wives. Nowadays, when a man walks into a hotel and request a room on the 19th floor, the clerk asks him for sleeping or jumping. As one of the greatest personalities of his time, fanatic in his determination that prohibition should remain the law of the land was ex-baseball player Billy Sunday. The return of the saloon would mean the overthrow of civilization in our land. It was because I didn't want our boys to die drunkards that I fought and fight. I'm going to live long enough to see America so dry, you'd have to prime a man before he can spit. And I'll fight the saloon from Hawaii to Hoboken. And I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. And I'll fight it as punch it as long as I have a fist. I'll butt it as long as I have a head. I'll bite it as long as I have a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. <laughs> wow, the radio was never the same after that. The first United States president to take full advantage of the growing power of the radio was Franklin D. Roosevelt. Starting with his own first inauguration address, FDR broadcast to the nation no less than 20 times during the first nine months of office. I, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who solemnly swear 
that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. So help me God. This is a day of national consecration. And I am certain that on this day, my fellow Americans expect that on my induction into the presidency, I will address them with a candor and a decision which the present situation of our people impels. This is preeminently the time to speak the truth, the whole truth, frankly and boldly. Only a foolish optimist can deny the dark realities of the moment. So first of all, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. 1935 saw the famous Lindbergh kidnapping case closed, three years after Lindy's infant son was kidnapped and killed. The National Broadcasting Company presents a special bulletin from the Press Radio News. Trenton, New Jersey. Bruno Richard Hauptmann was electrocuted at 8.47 tonight for the murder of the Lindbergh baby. This bulletin is from the Press Radio Bureau. This is the National Broadcasting Company. There were many famous newscasters during radio's golden era. Edward R. Murrow and H.V. Kaltenborn, Raymond Graham Swing and Robert Trout. And there was Drew Pearson, who predicted the future of the world for 15 minutes every week on his news program. Here's comedian Henry Morgan with his spoof of Drew Pearson. And now, once again, Fidang Hats bring you commentator Drew Morgan, whose amazing predictions have amazed millions of people who are easily amazed. And now, let's hear from Mr. Morgan. Good evening. And now let's hear about Fidang Hats, the pre-shaped hat for pre-shaped heads. <laughs> Men, you love a Fidang, whether your head is square, round, or oval, or even if it comes to a point. And you won't have to worry about ripping or tearing the lining. This is all done at the factory. <laughs> so get a Fidang hat today. Remember, the supply is limited, but even so, we're way ahead of the demand. And now back to commentator Drew Morgan. Washington, lights have been burning late in the State Department. And insiders predict there's going to be a big electric light bill. <laughs> Everybody is mad because a certain candidate has reversed himself on an important point. They claim it's unethical for a man to break his campaign promises before election. But Weather Bureau officials have a new method for long-range weather forecasting. So they can now be wrong three years in advance. <laughs> a reliable observer in Washington, who always keeps his ear to the ground, reports... It's damp down there. <laughs> now back to our announcer, Glenn Riggs. Thank you. And now back to Drew Morgan, whose amazing predictions have proved to be 100% correct. 6% of the time. <laughs> Washington, rumor mongers who spend all their time monging rumors <laughs> tell me that the newest rumor on Capitol Hill is Pierpont J. Flab, who just moved into a rooming house. The sponsors of this program, Fidang Hats, wish to announce that they are not responsible for puns. Drew Morgan wishes to announce he's not responsible for Fidang Hats. <laughs> and now back to our announcer, Glenn Riggs. Remember, men, only the best material goes into Fidang Hats. Your head. And here's a special feature. A special feature for you men who don't wear a hat. A Fidang is so pliable that it can be crushed into a little ball and thrown away. Yes, men, if you've never known the pleasure of discarding a Fidang, you've got a treat coming. And now back to Drew Morgan. 
Back to you, Glenn. Thank you. And now back once again to Drew Morgan. Remember, 6% of his predictions have proved to be 100% correct. Predictions of things to come. Prediction number one. I predict... Mr. Morgan, you can't predict anything this week. Why not? Haven't I always been 6% right? Yes, but you've already used up your 94% wrong for this month. <laughs> I see. This is Drew Morgan saying goodnight from Washington. Radio has been witness to many on-the-spot news events. Tragic as they were, newsmen were there and listeners heard the action firsthand. In the late 50s, Vice President Alvin Barkley was just finishing a speech when he collapsed and died. I am willing to be a junior. I am glad to sit on the back row, for I would rather be a servant in the house of the Lord than to sit in the seats of the mighty. Senator Barkley just collapsed as he finished saying, I had rather be a servant in the house of the Lord than in the seat of the mighty. On Saturday, July 28, 1945, an airplane crashed in the, into the Empire State Building in New York, and it was recorded for all time. Following this brief explanatory note, you will hear a re-recording of the sounds of the plane which crashed into the Empire State Building on Saturday, July 28, 1945. This recording was made in the American Society of Civil Engineers offices at 33 West 39th Street, New York City, approximately five blocks away from the scene of the tragedy. Now, if you will listen closely, you will hear over the dictation of the man who made the recording the sounds of the plane and the crash at the end. Well, this is Dean Crawford, University of Michigan. Here's Dean Crawford. We are sending under... under bucket cover. Following the tragedy, announcer Barry Gray interviewed two secretaries that were in the building at the time of the crash. It's 12.25 Eastern Wartime in New York City. This morning at about 10 o'clock, an army bomber crashed into the tallest building in the world, the Empire State Building here in New York City. Fire Chief Walsh of New York says there are already 19 known dead. And the four-alarm fire has drawn every piece of fire apparatus to the busy scene of 5th Avenue and 34th Street in the heart of Manhattan. Official police reports say the B-25 crashed and exploded into the 78th floor of the skyscraper, and hundreds of office workers were trapped a fifth of a mile above the street level. Two girls at work in the 73rd floor were Miss Edith Iverson, of 857 Fairmount Avenue, St. Paul, Minnesota, and Jean Fagan of 3 East Bank Street, Chicago. They were at work in the Empire State offices of the North Central Broadcasting System. And they are now at the Mutual Newsroom microphone here in New York, to tell you in their own words what happened. Now, Miss Fagan, tell us what happened when you first heard the crash. 
When we first heard the crash, we, we sat at our desks and looked at each other. We didn't know what it was lightning because we've heard so much publicity lately on lightning striking the Empire State Building. But we opened our office door and in the hall it was so covered with smoke we couldn't see and the elevator shafts were flaming with smoke. Well, tell us, what was your reaction, Miss Iverson? Well, I too thought it was lightning. We found the uh, service stairs finally and began to walk down. There were only two other girls on the floor, but uh, many people from other floors. There must have been at least 30 or 40, and they were all walking down too. One of the most famous on-the-spot news events took place on May 6, 1937, when WLS announcer Herbert Morrison was assigned to broadcast a description of the landing of the famous German dirigible, the von Hindenburg. It's practically standing still now. They've dropped ropes out of the nose of the ship and uh, has been taken a hold of down on the field by a number of men. It's starting to rain again. It, the rain had uh, slacked up a little bit. The back motors of the ship are just holding it uh, just enough to keep it from... It burst into flames. Get it started. Get it started. It's flashing. And it's crashing. It's crashing terrible. Oh, my. Get out of the way, please. It's burning and bursting into flames and, and it's falling on the morning pass. And all the folks between that this is terrible. This is one of the worst catastrophes in the world. Oh, it's, 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 it's flashing 20, oh, four or five hundred feet into the sky. And it, it's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now. And the flame is crashing to the ground, not quite to the mooring mass. All the humanity and all the fans are just screaming around it. I don't... I can't even talk to people... Early in the morning of June 6, 1968, announcer Andrew West, reporting for the Mutual Broadcasting System, was covering Senator Robert F. Kennedy's Democratic primary election victory at the Ambassador Hotel here in Los Angeles. Only radio brought to the nation and to the world an actual eyewitness report. Here are the last words ever spoken by Senator Kennedy and then Andrew West's description of the tragedy. So, uh, my thanks to all of you, and now it's on to Chicago, and let's win there. Senator, how are you going to counter Mr. Humphreys and his uh, backgrounding you as far as the delegate votes go? You can just go and start to struggle for it. Senator Kennedy has been Senator Kennedy has been shot. Is that possible? Is that possible? It's good. Is it possible, ladies and gentlemen? It is possible. He has not only Senator Kennedy. Oh, my God. Senator Kennedy has been shot. And another man, a Kennedy campaign manager, and possibly shot in the head. I am right here. Rafer Johnson has a hold of a man who apparently has fired the shot. He has fired the shot. He still has the gun. The gun is pointed at me right at this moment. I hope they can get the gun out of his hand. <laughs> Be very careful. Get the gun. Get the gun. Get the gun. Stay away from the gun. Stay away from the gun. His hand is frozen. Get his thumb. Get his thumb. Get his thumb. Take a hold of his thumb and break it if you have to. Get his thumb. Radio newscasters had humor, too, and Lowell Thomas has proved it time and time again. And now, Lowell, have you a few more unforgettable words? 
about a new book called Diet or Die. Author, Mrs. Celeste Geyer, perhaps better known to millions of carnival fans as the one-time Dolly Dimples. Remember, the world's most beautiful fat lady? That was the billing Mrs. Geyer used when she weighed 555 pounds. Count them, 555 pounds. Now it's felt 122. She tells in her book how she did it, following the advice of a doctor who told her after a near-fatal uh, uh, heart attack to diet or die. The secret of effective weight loss, massive willpower, says Mrs. Geyer, adding that her own willpower was strengthened by the memory <laughs> Well, anyhow, she said that her uh, fat friends from Carnival Life died at an early age, later buried from the back of a truck. Those her own words. Why truck? Because in Mrs. Geyer, they were too big for a hearse. Newscasts are much different on today's modern radio. Instant reports from newsmen all over the world are heard on virtually every large and small station in the country. And often they don't sound too much unlike this. Good evening. This is your roving reporter with an on-the-spot roundup of world news. Here is news reported as it happens by our crack roving reporters in countries around the world. But first, will our roving reporters in the world's capitals please identify themselves? This is Harry Jackson in New York. This is Clive Peterson in London. This is Bruce McEvoy in Paris. This is uh, Bennett Lovejoy in Madrid. This is Roger Kling in Munich. This is Gerard Horning in Moscow. This is Donald Van Ock in Athens. This is Bruce Hock in Hong Kong. Franklin Wade, Tokyo. This is Gordon Powell in Kenya. This is Dwight Black in <laughs> This is Henry Sickle in Cairo. This is Marvin Bloom in Tel Aviv. <laughs> this is Clyde Rush in Havana. This is Fred Hurlbut in Mexico City. And this again is Harry Jackson in New York. Now the news. Uh, what's that? We don't have time for the news. <laughs> well... This is good night from Harry Jackson in New York. Fred Hellman, Mexico City. Clyde Rush in Havana. Robert Bloom in Tel Aviv. Henry Sickle, Cairo. White <laughs> Black in Ottawa. Gordon Powell. Listen tomorrow night for another on the spot roundup on World News. That wraps up this edition of the Golden Days of Radio. I hope you've enjoyed the past half hour. And here's a fact from Uncle Sam's Almanac. The cash register, an American invention, rung up a gross national product of over $775 billion in the United States in 1967, which gave America, after taxes, a personal income of $509 billion. That's American free enterprise at work. This is Frank Brzee in Hollywood, California, inviting you back next time for more great moments from radio programs of the past. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio Service.